Amen. Uh, I do have a little video clip that I want to ask the guys just to play before I get up. Sergeant? Yes, sir. Establish a recon post downstairs. Code red, repeat. We are at code red. Recon plan, Charlie. Execute. Move, 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 move. It's a... It's a big one. Walt Disney Pictures presents... Star Command, come in. Do you read me? The story of two toys. Oh, there seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Hello? Oh, yeah. ah! Headed for a showdown. My name is Woody. This is my spot. Ah! I am Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. You are a child's plaything. You are a sad, strange little man. And playing by their own rules. Draw. Fuck me again. I don't like confrontations. Buzz, look an alien. Where? <laughs> You're mocking me, aren't you? <laughs> oh, impressive wingspan. Very good. <laughs> oh, what? What? You can't fly. Yes. I can. Can't. Can. Can't. 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 The adventure takes off when toys come to life. To infinity and beyond. Toy Story. Look out! Can. So, uh, when I was uh, a little boy, I used to play with plastic army um, soldiers. And I used to imagine that they were actually real. I would, uh, I would build forts and I would uh, play with these little soldiers and uh, mock battles would happen. And uh, these little toys, like you see in this toy story would, uh, in the movie, would come to life. They would imagine that when the humans aren't watching, that they actually would come to life and they would have games and they would play and they would do their strategies and whatever else that's going on. When I was uh, about nine or ten, I'm giving away my age now, but uh, Superman, Man of Steel, the movie, came out. It was a long, long time ago. Most of you probably weren't even born. But I had uh, gotten a, a Superman outfit. You know, the whole blue long pants with the underpants on the outside, the blue t-shirt with a, with a cape. And I went to go and watch this movie with my Superman outfit under all my clothes. And this was in the middle of summer on a hot Saturday morning. I believed, as I walked out of that movie, that I would run down into the street and spin around and, you know, I would fly off like Superman. Maybe you've imagined something. Maybe you've watched Wimbledon Final and then you go out on the, in the driveway or on the streets and you play, imagining that you were Djokovic. Uh, or those of you who, who, I don't know if there are any cricketers in the midst here. Maybe soccer. Maybe you, Kutle. Hey? Or one of the other guys, I don't recognize the names, I'm not a big soccer fan, but I'm sure that you had moments in your life where you pretended, where you imagined that you were someone else or something else. And so I want to speak about that very thing. I'm, my, the title for my message is Let's Imagine. And um, I think it's a very important part of our lives growing up. It's part of our development as young little kids, as young children we begin to model something of reality, of real life. It's important for our development. Little girls playing nurse, little boys cutting down bushes, warriors fighting battles. These are necessary part of our development. And, uh, but I, I think sometimes what happens is life begins to um, throw us uh, challenges. And, and as we grow up, you know, real life sort of sets in. 
And, and we realize that, hang on, there's, there's obstacles. While we might imagine something to be, we realize that actually there's, there's challenges that almost make things an impossibility for us. Like, like Woody, you can't fly. I can. You can't. And so the voices of the world tell us, you can't. Don't do that. And I want to say tonight that actually God wants you to imagine. And, and I almost want to use the word pretend. Am I too loud? Sorry, I'm, I get, I've got a drama background, eh? so I get passionate. <laughs> God wants you to pretend. But yes, yes, the thing about God's pretending. It's a, it's a pretending not that there's nothing there. Because that's a fake thing. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I presume that your pastor tells you, you've got to be friendly on Sunday. Yes, because there's visitors coming. You've got to be friendly all the time. But let's just use Sunday morning for an example, because we're trusting that, that visitors would come, people that are coming to Jesus, right? And they're searching. But imagine if you had to put on this fake smile, like, Hello, yeah, nice to meet you. That's pretending because there's nothing there. But imagine if you wake up in the morning and you're in a bad mood. You are really grumpy. Okay? You haven't been able to sleep. The neighbors made loud music, whatever. You arrive at church and you're grumpy. You're in a bad mood. But you've got to be friendly because there's people coming. And the pastor's told you, you've got to be friendly. Here's what you realize. Actually, you put on Jesus. Because he's given you the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the joy. And so whether you're grumpy or not, you put it on. And you go across the room and you go and say hello to someone and say, Hey, I'm Grant. Pleased to meet you. Welcome, man. Great to have you here. You smile. You're putting on something because God has given it to you. But you don't feel like it. You put it on. And it's not a fake smile. You're pretending so that the real thing can happen. Here's what happens after you've done that. I bet you you walk away from saying hello and you feel friendly. Have any of you experienced that? You put it on. You go and say welcome. You look at that smile. Hey, good to see you, man. And then you walk away. Yes, you had a great conversation. Actually, this was okay. I feel friendly. I was grumpy, but now I'm friendly. That's putting on something of Jesus. That's pretending, not that there's nothing there. It's not the fake smile, but it's pretending toward the real thing. And I want to speak about that tonight. Because God wants you to pretend. He wants you to imagine towards the real thing. And I'm telling you, the world doesn't want you to believe this. There's three things that you can be certain of in your life. If you're young here, this is still coming ahead of you. If you're old and wrinkly a little bit, then you probably realize that some of these things are true. Here's, here's the truth. God is for you. You with me? God is always for you. He will always be for you. He's created you in His image. And so that will never, ever change. He's created you and He's designed you, especially your personality, your quirks, everything about you for a purpose, for a God purpose. But there's an enemy who will always oppose you. Whether you're doing nothing, he's very happy with that. But he will put distractions, he will put all kinds of things in your way to oppose you from fulfilling and following the God who is for you. He will do that. He will never stop doing that. He was always against you. Believe, believe me. But there's a third thing that, that you and I have to realize. You, you, you have a personal responsibility. 
Every single one of you. We're leaders here tonight, right? We are. We want to be equipped to, to follow Jesus and to, to, to fulfill this, these great purposes that God has destined us for. But there's an enemy against us, and so there's this tension of imagining, but, but the reality is you have a personal responsibility. I'm responsible towards you, not for you. And here's the responsibility, that there is the race. You, you notice that I put there to run the race. You know, it's not your race. Although you're involved in it, it's not your race. It's the race. Nowhere in the New Testament, other than one occasion, does Paul ever say, I've run my race. The only time he does it is where, where he presented his version of the gospel to the apostles. And he's talking about his understanding of the gospel. Remember, he went into the wilderness. And, and he presents my race. I, I want to make sure that I'm running my race. Ver, the, my version of the gospel. But everywhere else, he speaks about the race. In Acts 20, he says, my only aim is to finish the race the Lord has given me. It's not my race. It's not my own personal desires. It's not what I want to achieve and what I want to see done. This is God's race. In Hebrews 12, it says, run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's the race, not my race. It's not your race. It's God's race. But you're involved in it. You have a personal responsibility to run that race. And for me, this is where the tacky hits the tar. Because we can all agree that God is for us and the devil's against us, but we have a responsibility to, to partake in this thing. And so the major part of following Jesus is to pretend and to imagine. I'll, I'll give you an example. When Jesus taught us how to pray, he says, Our Father. I'm, I'm sure you've, you've prayed that prayer. But here's what I'll ask you. If... If you're praying to a God who is your father, that makes you a son or a daughter. That's what God believes. But here's, here's the thing is, sometimes I realize I'm, I've got anger issues. <laughs> I'm sinful. I'm judgmental. I'm greedy. I do stuff. And, I, and I'm, I'm not like the son of God. But does it make me from not being a son? I need, to, I need to put myself in that place of being a son of God. And there's a tension there because it, for some it's like hypocrisy. But let me tell you, friends, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to be like a son. Even though you don't feel like it compared to the son. He wants you to place yourself in a position with him as a son. And for some of you, that's difficult. Maybe that is hypocrisy. Well, I don't, I don't care because it's what God has for me. And I need to pretend, I need to imagine and place myself, put on Christ and live as a son. And so this is imagining that leads to the real thing. That's what I want to speak about. Nine years ago, we relocated to Port Elizabeth. All, all I knew was Brendan and Nick van Rensburg, you know, the other uncle from Bay City. Those were the only two people I knew that lived in this town. But I, I want to say this, we, we moved here to plant a church. Now, you kind of think if someone's going to lead a church, they've they, they got, they got to lead. But I never saw myself as a leader. I wasn't a prefect at school. I wasn't like, I had a whole lot of people following me from behind. I never saw myself as a leader. But one day, God gave me a picture at a time like this, remember the days of Bloom, eh? the good old days. Sure. <laughs> God showed me a picture of a motorbike. 
And I'm sitting on the back of the motorbike holding on the front guy and I'm, I'm hiding behind him. And God says, I want, you to, I want you to drive. I want you to take all the bugs in your face. That's literally the picture he showed me of a, of, of a guy on a motorbike with the old helmets and all the bugs in the teeth. You know, when you're riding a motorbike, you get all the bugs in your, in your, in your face. And God was telling me, you just want to sit on the back because it's comfortable. And he told me, I want you, I've called you to lead. Now, remember, I'm not a prefect. I'm not a leader. I don't have an awesome amount of people following me. But God said, I want you to lead. Now, now I've got to start imagining myself to be a leader. And so here we are. <laughs> I never thought I was a visionary. You know what a visionary is? Visionary is being prophetic. It's hearing God and what he's wanting to see in the future and making it in, in a reality here in the present. That's a visionary. God wants us to be a prophetic people, to have vision. And one day one of our leaders came to me and says, hey, our team, because we led a little uh, children's ministry team. Uh, well, it wasn't so little, but anyway. And, and, and she said to us, listen, our team wants to know where we're going. Like we'd been leading it for about a year and I said, what do you mean? Where are we going? We just do kids' ministry. We love kids' ministry, man. We just do kids' ministry. What do you want to know? Where are we going? And it's like she was saying, we need a bit of vision. Like, we want to be a part of this thing, but where are we going? And one day I was watching Bear Grylls. You know Bear Grylls, that British guy from Alpha Videos? He jumps out of an airplane in the desert somewhere in Siberia and in Russia. And, and, and he, gets, he says, the people get lost and they die when they escape from the prison. He says, what you've got to do is you've got to climb a tree and you've got to look on the horizon. Find a mountain and then go down and walk towards that. And then a few hours later, climb a tree again and look and see, oh, there's the mountain. And keep go- eventually you will get out. Otherwise, you go round and round and round and you die in the, in, the, in the forest. And God said to me, that's what a visionary is. Get up above the trees, hear me where I'm taking you and go down and tell the people. <laughs> and so I want, I want to say, this is, this is how practical God is. He gives you a picture of what your life can be like, and he wants you to now take a personal responsibility and make that a reality. Let's imagine. Not my own thing, God's thing. And so, I want to speak about Gideon. I love Dorcas coming up here in her army uniform. I think it's a prophetic picture. Not that we become militant. But God wants us to fight some battles. You know, the nation of Israel was rescued by Moses out of slavery. You know the story? And his assistant, uh, Joshua, took them into the promised land. But they never possessed fully what God had for them. Because they started to worship foreign gods. And the enemy began to plunder them. Remember, God says, look, you're going to do this. You know, I'm going to hand you over. And so the enemy started to plunder them. Started to come in and steal all their crops take squat on their land and, and, and kill their animals and whatever else. They, they were living as, 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 as um, oppressed people. And, and here's the first thing. Here's the enemy. The enemy who will oppose you, opposed Gideon. And he's living in fear and he's living in secret. This is what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to live in secret. You know? He wants us to not go out and into the public and he wants us to hide away and so Gideon is hiding away living in secret because they've taken on the worship of foreign gods and God has handed them over and so there it is there's the enemy opposing Gideon 
and hiding away in the caves and everything else. And so what does God do? They cry out. You remember? They cry out. This is the story of Judges. You can read it. Judges chapter 6, chapter 7. They felt terrible. They were oppressed. They cry out to God. God sends a prophet. What does the prophet say? Wow, amazing. You know what the prophet said? You haven't listened to God. <laughs> Gideon's own dad had a, a Baal altar and an Asherah pole. Gideon's own family, and we can assume maybe Gideon was a part of this, worshipping foreign gods. And he asked the question, like, why are we in this situation? Why is all this going on? The, the, the prophet said, well, it's because you didn't listen to God. You hand it over and the enemy is oppressing you. You know, sometimes I think we like to sometimes blame other stuff. Sometimes it's because of our disobedience and our not listening to God. That the enemy gets some foothold and starts to oppress us. And we live in secret and, and we find ourselves living in fear and insecurity. The enemy gets the upper hand. I, I think this, this is the, the beautiful thing about the gospel. It's, a, it's the best of news for the worst of sinners. The gospel is the best of good news for the worst of sinners. And I think sometimes when we feel that there's nothing bad in our hearts... You're in a dangerous place. Because what the gospel shows to me is, is how wicked my heart really is. And when we sing about the holiness of God, I realize that I'm anything but holy. But the gospel is good news because while I am like that, God says, you are welcome, son. Come in. And so we have to be checking our hearts. And here we meet the God who is for Gideon. Who's designed Gideon for purpose. The angel of the Lord in Judges 6 verse 12. Here we go. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Go in the strength you have. Save Israel out of the enemy's hand. Am I not sending you? Friends, the nation is impoverished. By their own doing. Can't blame anyone. Gideon's hiding away. And he knows the prophet has said, you're in this because you haven't listened to God. You've worshipped foreign gods. You're in this. And yet God speaks this language. Mighty warrior, go in the strength that you have. Am I not sending you? Doesn't this sound a little bit hypocrisy to you? He's anything but a mighty warrior. He's hiding away. He's living in shame, living in secret. And he's been disobeying God and he's sitting under the oppression of the enemy. But yet God comes. Who is for him? Remember I said God is always for you. And he says, stand up, mighty warrior. Go in the strength that you have. Other translation says, a man of valor, man of virtue, man of strength, man of substance, man of worth. Was that Gideon? Let's imagine. And so we get this exchange of, of the Lord and the angel speaking to Gideon, and Gideon begins to respond. Yeah, he has the thing. He begins to take on the personal responsibility for his race that he's got to run. He could just say, oh, no, it's like... Ah, I'm just the lowest of my tribe and everything else is against me and, you know, woe is me. And he starts to engage with God. Tyron said this thing this morning. I don't know if you guys did see any of that video. Tyron said, never underestimate the power of God when you respond. It's one of the hindrances to seeing the kingdom of God advance is when we, we underestimate the power of God. 
when we respond. You know that God wants to use you. And somehow we think, no, God's just going to do it without me. No, God wants you in his plans to outwork. And we, we cannot underestimate the power of God when we begin to take personal responsibility for the race that he's called us to run. And so Gideon begins to engage with this picture. He's aware that he's not a mighty warrior, but he begins to imagine, he begins to pretend in a way that leads to the real thing. This is not positive thinking. This is not mind over matter. This is hearing God's picture over my life and believing it and starting to take personal responsibility for the outworking of that picture. That's what it'll take. And so he starts to. He's been given this position and this God-given authority and this level of response and obedience that Gideon begins to engage in. And so what he does is he begins to live in this direction. He begins to, if I could say it in our terms, put on Christ, and he becomes more fully and more complete, completely aware of what God is doing in his life. And so we move out of the secret when we begin to take personal responsibility for God's picture over our lives. When we begin to imagine and begin to pretend towards the real thing, we start to move out of the secret. And so, so we see in Gideon's language, I'm just paraphrasing some of these things. Gideon begins to reply. Gideon went. Gideon did. Gideon took. Gideon broke down the altar. He smashed down the altar and pulled down the Asherah pole. He started to do some things. This is the guy hiding away in the wine press who suddenly starts to take responsibility and put things into action. And I think one of the things is that we need to recognize the foreign allegiances that we have in our lives. As leaders, we need to deal with them. If there's stuff there that is wrestling and vying for, for your, your heart's worship, and it's not Jesus, it's something else that needs to be dealt with. And so Gideon smashes these things in his life. Yes, he might do it at night time, but he does it. And so I think this is, this is something that God has got his finger on. We, we can't be complacent about the call of God on our lives. We cannot be indifferent. We cannot be without emotion. We must engage in the things that God has for us as he begins to speak over us. In Judges 6.34, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. One of the translations says that the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Isn't this an incredible picture? As Gideon begins to engage with this picture of God and he takes responsibility, he smashes down the altars, he starts to do a whole lot of stuff, God comes with the Holy Spirit and clothes him with the power that he needs to fully outwork his plan. And so God uses Gideon as he begins to engage and take personal responsibility. Don't underestimate the power of God when you begin to respond. To what God is doing. What an incredible picture that God clothes Gideon with the Holy Spirit as Gideon begins to engage. There's this partnering, this is co laboring together with God. And so we see Gideon begins to blow, he begins to send, he, he took. And, and, and the language is, is, is all about Gideon engaging more and more and more in the things that God has for him. Remember what God did? Bit by bit, send them away. 32,000 men. Slowly he's left with 300. What's God doing? God's setting Gideon up for a God success, not a Gideon success. 
Oh, look, we did this. No, I can't explain it. That's a God's success. And he's setting him up. And so Gideon begins to lead. And here's what I want to say. God does not bypass Gideon. He's committed to using Gideon. He works with Gideon. He uses Gideon. God wants to use you. God does not want to bypass you. He's designed you for a purpose and he wants you to engage in that. He wants to, you, you to begin to see it and begin to take personal responsibility. Will you, will you take personal responsibility for the race that God has? And so Gideon begins to give clear instructions. Here, here, watch me, he says to his people. I mean, you know, a couple of lines before that, you know, would he have said, watch me, as he's hiding away in the wine press. Pipsqueak. You know, he's the weakling. Would he have said, hey, watch me, follow me, do as I do? No, but he does now. And he begins to tell them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. He has leadership. He has the boldness that God spoke of him. He has the strength that God had given him. Did I, am I not sending you? Yes, he's being sent. And he begins to walk in this picture, this imagining of the picture that God has. He begins to walk in it. God's purpose for his life. Why is it so important? Here's why. Because it will affect other people. You, you, you're modeling something, whether you're aware of it or not, you're modeling something. Whether you disengage from God or whether you fully engage with God, people are watching you and you're modeling something, regardless. Whether you're not putting a culture in place, a culture is being formed. It's a way of life. And so what we see here is this personal responsibility for the race that God has for me, the personal responsibility that's upon you for the race that God has for you is so important to God because it affects other people. And Glenn said some stuff here about getting off the, the road of selfishness. I believe that the Christian life actually is about God wanting you to trust Him more. That's it. And what it hinges down to is, is how much are you willing to give of yourself towards others? Because as we see Gideon partaking in this beautiful picture that God spoke over his life, it begins to affect the people around him. And the language is no longer Gideon did this and Gideon did this. The language, go and read it in, Gideon, in, in Judges. In Gideon. In Judges. <laughs> the language is, is they began. Who's they? The 300. They began to blow their trumpets. Their jars were in their hands. They shouted. Each man held his position. They seized. They captured. They pursued and they killed. The language goes from Gideon to the group of people that he was entrusted to lead. And so why does this matter? It's because it, it's about other people and bringing them also into the inheritance. We lead us here tonight. You are leading. You are modeling whether you're aware of it or you're unaware of it. But God wants you to take a hold fully of, of the picture. He has the courage and the responsibility of Gideon spilling over into the lives of those around him. Maybe there's some of us here tonight that you want more of God's purposes. Maybe you truly want to 
begin taking more and more personal responsibility, but you're not sure how. Maybe there's some of you that have had it before. And maybe just life has kind of knocked you a bit. Maybe you've lost the vision a bit and you're a bit jaded. You've been pushed low. And I want to say, in Judges 6 verse 30, it says that the people came and said, Bring out your son, he must die. This is speaking about Gideon. The people, when they saw that the Asherah pole had been pulled down and the altar had been smashed and everything else, they, they went to Gideon's dad and they said, bring out your son, he must die. And I want, to, I want to say this, is that if you haven't already died, you have no real reason to live. And when we understand that we have truly died in Christ, we can live lives that are not terrified of, of, of overwhelming fear, whatever it is around us. We are not scared to die because we've already died and we cannot, nothing can take away the life, that, the resurrection life that we've been given. And I believe Gideon had something of this inside of him. When that angel of the Lord, I believe was Jesus, speaking to Gideon, imparted something of, of that thing of, of, of the Son of God. It's like when we understand that our strength and our vision comes from Jesus, the one who has already died for me in my place and he's now given me resurrection life. I don't care. I don't care what, what happens. I've got no fear of dying. I can begin to take on the battles of life. The responsibility, the personal responsibility for me to take becomes a little bit easier because Jesus, the one, has died for me and he's the one who, whose grace empowers me to take a hold of this thing fully. And completely. Friends, it's the grace of God that empowers us. God gives grace to the humble, not the prideful, not in our own strength, not in our own abilities, but listening and hearing for the God picture that He speaks. And we begin to imagine that. We begin to imagine it towards becoming a reality in our lives. I want to close with the scripture Colossians 1 22 and 23. It says, You. You, I don't have the scripture on the screen. Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in your faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Paul writing to the Colossians, he says this. He says that now in his death you've been reconciled. Why? In order that God can present you holy and blameless. Above reproach before him. Something of that thing. In the death of Jesus. We find our purpose. And our future. That he is presenting us. He is presenting us holy and blameless. Don't move from the gospel. Don't move from the truth. Of what Jesus has done. For you and for, and, and for all of us. Therein lies our strength and our grace to fulfill and run the race that God has for every single one of us. I wonder if we could close our eyes. Father, we thank you for these wonderful stories that you've given to us. Not so we can feel good and but Lord, you've called us to begin to imagine what our lives could look like if we began to take a hold of fully. And we begin to believe what you are speaking over our lives, Lord. We sing those songs, worthy is the Lamb.
is Lord, we realize that we are not worthless. That we have been purchased with the precious blood of the Son of the living God. There must be a reason why, Jesus, you have died for every single one of us. And as we begin to take a hold of that in our lives, in our personal lives, Lord, I pray that you would paint this beautiful picture. The way you've created us, the way you've designed us, so that we may truly, completely fulfill your purpose over our lives. Lord, we want to run the race. We want to get to the end and, like Paul, say, we have finished the race that you have before us with no regrets. We want to invest our lives like Gideon, everything, regardless of the price and the cost. We want to live for you, Jesus. And we want to bring others into this beautiful and wonderful journey and this adventure of life. Lord, I pray right now, you just begin to speak life over people. Begin to give them a picture. Just like that Buzz Lightyear said, I can fly. Look at my wings. That we begin to ignore the voices around us, the culture. Maybe it's things that have been spoken over our lives and our past. Actually, we'd begin to listen and believe what you speak over our lives. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who's not silent. You're not a God who leaves us and writes us off. But even in the midst of our wine presses of our own lives, you come and you speak life. Mighty warrior, am I not sending you? Go in the strength that you have. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the absolute undeserved grace that you have put over our lives and poured into our lives. So we humble ourselves and hear your voice. I pray that you would lead us, fashion us, mold us and change us. Let us imagine things to become a reality in our lives. Not just individually, Lord, as a church. As we work, as we work in team. This local church and translocal ministry around this area and the regions and the nations of the world. Lord God, may we become a people that begin to speak this over others as we lead your people. May we be a people that back and speak life and speak prophetic pictures over people and one another so we may begin to believe and take a hold of everything that you have for us as your people, Lord. 